0: WDBM
1: East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the air. Joining you now, your editor-in-chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Earl Schwartz hello this is arts editor skylar ashley million for burl schwartz on today's edition of city pulse on the air we are talking to mary cusack and jack wagner of the michigan justice advocacy organization michigan is one of only six states in the u.s that does not have a good behavior credit system for the incarcerated and michigan justice is looking to change that cusack and wagner Discuss why that's important and delve into many other facets of criminal justice reform and the prison system here in Michigan. Let's check it out. So you guys are joining me on uh, joining us here on City Pulse on the air from the Michigan Justice Advocacy Group. How, how did you both get involved in Michigan Justice Advocacy? Well, why don't you just um, explain your involvement in it, um, what it is, and you know why this is uh, important
0: to you? Yeah, Mary, did you want to go first?
2: Nope, you should, Jack.
0: Very good. So um, yeah, I'm Jack Wagner. And I got started with Michigan Justice Advocacy when we formed the organization last year in uh, 2020. So in September, just a little over a year ago now. And um, I was duly elected president, uh, just because I think no one else raised their hand. Uh, What more would you like to know about us? Um, I suppose why um,
1: criminal justice reform, you know, why, why that's... Uh...
0: Yeah, that, that story has like uh, two bookends to it. I don't know how much you want to hear of history versus today, but um, it's because I've been personally impacted by the criminal justice system, both very recently uh, in my family and then uh, myself as a teenager back in the 1970s. So I've seen this thing kind of um, in a 40-year period, almost like a Rip Van Winkle story where 40 plus years ago, I got myself in a lot of trouble. And to me, the criminal justice system back then was dare I say fair even uh, in the way they treated me. I probably should have gotten more than I I did in terms of my punishment, but then the pendulum has swung well to the other side of this picture. And um, a family member got tangled up in the criminal justice system. And I thought, surely, it'll work out kind of like it did for me, right? A judge will hear the story, be able to make a, a determination about the case, and then, um, you know, justice will be served, right? Boy, was I wrong. And so <laughs> a lot has changed in 40 years, and that's how I got involved. I just couldn't sit on the couch and make pretend everything was just fine and honky dory anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, how about you, Mary? How did you get involved
1: in it? Um criminal justice reform with, with Michigan Justice uh, Advocacy, on the organization?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I came at it from a different angle because I've worked um, for community colleges for 21 years now. Um, and so part of my job, um, actually, it wasn't part of my job, but but as an, a dean at Mott Community College, I kind of got involved in um, uh, what they are calling the Second Chance Pell Initiative. And this is a um, an ex- what they call experimental sites through the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, um, under John King, who was Obama's Secretary of Ed. And so um, while Pell grants were uh, taken away from incarcerated students in the 90s when the omnibus crime bill went through, um, the Department of Ed can... can work around legislation if they're doing an experiment. So they brought back Pell Grants for selected colleges and prisons so that they could basically um, do the data crunching to show that giving education to incarcerated individuals actually helps with outcomes and lowers recidivism rates. So I got involved in that program when when Mott um, applied for um, to be one of those schools in um, 2015. And and, you know, I didn't see it coming um, in terms of how passionate I would end up getting about criminal justice reform. But the more I got involved with that program and met the students and, and realized, how, you know, how, how much they really wanted to make changes, but also how, how unfair a lot of their sentences were. Um, and there's a lot of criminal justice reform we could talk about. MJA is approaching one aspect of it, um, but we know that there's a lot of parts that need to be fixed. Um, and so sentence lengths is one of those. Um, so I, I got more passionate about criminal justice reform, um, kept doing more and more research on my own. And then I stumbled on MJA, I think in January or February, learned about their work and um, contacted them and said, do you need somebody who has some you know, experience uh, in higher ed? And, um, and they, they brought me into the fold. And it's just been really exciting to learn um, how the legislative system works when you're trying to introduce a bill it's, it's been really a learning experience for me um and of course jack will will talk in a minute about our, our wonderful success that we uh we can share finally
0: yeah before i do i'm gonna give a resounding amen to what mary is saying about the component of education because in the 70s you know i was in high school and i, and I got in trouble as a teenager right as a juvenile um, the last time the juvenile judge saw me, he he um, he said, are you getting the point? And this was after I spent about uh, six months in, in an actual prison in the New Jersey state prison system. He called me back into his courtroom and he said, are you getting the point yet? And I said, absolutely. What, what is it you need me to do? He said, you're a smart kid. Go back to school, get your education. And I listened to him and I absolutely did that. I finished high school, went on to college, got a four-year degree in engineering, and I never looked back. And I think that made the biggest difference in the world in terms of, you know, revisiting crime as a potential career choice, right? Now I had an education. Now I could go out and actually earn a a decent living doing something that I was passionate about and cared about. And it was all unlocked by education. So Mary, you're spot on when you talk about the value
2: I know it's, it's a little bit off topic, but it is true. And what we find is that a lot of the people who end up in the criminal justice system were never afforded the opportunities that a lot of the dominant class are in terms of access to education. You know, even though community colleges are open to everybody. But if you go into the K-12 system, how many of, of these marginalized populations were never told by anybody that they were college material or were told that they weren't college material? right? So um, I think that that education is the great equalizer, um, but we have to get everybody there. And a lot of these guys don't think that they can do it. And then after one semester when they're successful, they just get such a passion for learning. It's, you know, once they realize that this was always available to them, that they're not dumb, that they absolutely are college material, um, they just take off. And and, and I think in terms of our program, the incarcerated students do better than the students on the outside. They're all on the honor rolls. You know, they they are almost all over a 3.0, and most of them close to a 4.0. Part of it is because they have time to read, and a lot of students Ooh. on the outside don't read the book. You know, <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, so so yeah, very true. It's
0: the difference between I think a revolving door uh, career with with criminal um, behavior and criminal justice uh, encounters with the criminal justice system, and the difference between that and walking through the exit and never looking back at, at crime. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how, how strong I feel about education.
1: This is City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. Let's return to our interview with Mary Cusack and Jack Wagner from the Michigan Justice Advocacy Organization. Yeah, the major um, aspect that Michigan justice advocacy is focusing on is return to some good time credit system to help reduce sentence lengths for incarcerated individuals. Why, why don't you talk about that? I know that's uh, going to be the subject of a bill that uh, has finally arrived SB 649, or the Good Time Makes Good Sense bill. Why don't the two of you talk about that, the mission behind uh, Bring Good Time Back?
0: Yeah. So let's- Let's start at the top, okay, when we look at um, the U.S. population as compared to world population, you may have heard this statistic before, Uh, the U.S. accounts for about 5% of the world population, but about 25% of the world's incarcerated population. So right at the top, the U.S. stands out as as a nation that tends to use incarceration as one of the primary tools in the criminal justice system. Um, then you look at the state of Michigan, where we have something called truth and sentencing, and not just any flavor of truth and sentencing, we have 100% truth and sentencing, which means an individual will spend 100% of their minimum sentence uh, in a secure facility, read prison, right? Mm-hmm. So, as far as... Um, the state of Michigan is concerned as compared to the rest of the country, it's very much similar uh, in the lengths of sentences and amount of time spent behind bars in Michigan. It's it's very much like the U.S. is compared to the world. We just stand out here in the state of Michigan as compared to the rest of the states in the country. So it was with that in mind that we said, well, let's take a look at this problem and what can be done. And that's when we learned about uh, the fact that you know, some form of a good time or time off for good behavior policy used to be in place uh, for nearly 100 years in the Michigan prison systems up until 1978, when Proposal B had started to erode that system and carve out certain crime categories for exclusion in participation of of an incentive program like this slowly it it, um, it eroded to the point where through the 80s, the tough on crime mentality, uh, three strikes you're out and the war on drugs, um, it led finally into the 90s uh, to the point where there was no access to time off for good behavior. And in 2000, the last of any kind of program like that existed. So if you entered prison in 2000, since then, you will be serving every day uh, of your minimum sentence in a secure facility.
1: Michigan is one of only a handful of states, uh, six states in the U.S. that does not have any sort of credit policy for the incarcerated. Is there any sort of shared experience for incarcerated individuals across those states? What kind of impact has your research found that this lack of a credit system has had on people?
0: Well, one thing it's sad is uh, in Michigan, you're going to spend on average uh, a, a good amount of time in prison. As a matter of fact, we lead the country this way, as I said. Um, 6.8 years on average, I think it is, and depending on how you do your math and statistics, um, according to the MDoc data itself, uh, the folks who are currently serving, if you look at both the incarcerated population, plus those that have been released, that number really climbs more to like 10 years. So on average, you're gonna spend 10 years in a Michigan prison. Um, the effect, uh, higher costs. We spend two billion over $2 billion a year here in the state. And as compared to the rest of the states in the country, that accounts for 3.9% of our total budget not just our general fund budget but our total budget when you look at the general fund which is the amount of money that we all uh, bicker about every year to do budgets in this state it's it's a 20 percent type component of that budget piece so it costs money when you look at the results in terms of are we reducing um recidivism are we increasing public safety uh, the answers are no. On average, we kind of look like the rest of the states when it comes to returning um, to a life of crime once you're released. And then when you look at, um, uh, sorry, the, uh, the uh, reported crimes and how do we fare on a, a crime statistic basis, we rank number two for the number of reported um, rapes sexual assaults. So clearly, something isn't working. We, we are locking people up. We're locking them up for a long time. We're spending a lot of money to do it. And we don't seem to be gaining any benefit from it, as far as I can tell. So the idea is, let's address the criminal justice system and the mass incarceration problem by incentivizing the kinds of behaviors that will result in success when somebody is, is returning, returning home, right? This is City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The
1: Impact. Let's return to our interview with Mary Cusack and Jack Wagner from the Michigan Justice Advocacy Organization.
2: Well, I would add, you know, the other question about the impact is if you don't have a good time policy, um, what is the incentive for someone to actually then behave properly? So it becomes a safety issue for the employees of the prisons as well. so if you are incentivizing good behavior, that's going to make a safer workplace for those who are employed by the MDOC. Um, and so that that's another byproduct that I think is a very positive thing. Um, and I think, you know, people who don't believe in this kind of work and policy might say that people are sentenced and deserve the sentence that they're given. Um, and. We, we in fact you had a letter to the editor from a, a a prosecutor in the area who said well the judge knows best except the judge sees a person during a trial or or what during the sentencing and when they take a plea bargain it's much shorter they don't they don't develop a relationship they don't know that person they do it they give a sentence hand down a sentence the person goes to prison and that judge has no idea what they're doing behind bars right so You've got someone who's, who's an inmate, who's uh, an incarcerated person who's behaving, they're doing an education program, they're trying to turn things around. Um, the judge doesn't know that. So to just rely on the fact that the sentence they were given is a fair sentence and that's what they deserve, isn't true. I mean, we need to have a system to evaluate whether a person deserves to be um, released early. And, and, and good behavior is one component of that. Um, and I think the other thing to consider is, is when you look at any kind of wellness program in general, right, they say, you hear stats about how it takes, I don't know, six weeks to change a habit, right? And so, so people who might argue, well, they'll just act good to get time off, okay, well, number one, they're acting, they're behaving for 30 days to get a reduction in their sentence. Um, after some amount of time, you've got intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. So the extrinsic reward is that they're getting time off. Intrinsic reward is that they're learning that it's not so maybe bad or hard to be a decent person, to not have to be the tough guy, to not, you know, to back down to a challenge instead of getting into a fight. They're going to adopt better behaviors And over time, those behaviors stick like they do for any of us who are trying to to change our behaviors. And so I think that's a, a very positive byproduct. It would be pretty hard for someone to just fake their way for a few years, behaving themselves to get a reduced sentence and then go back out in the world and become, you know, go 180 and become, you know, a poorly behaved person upon return.
0: Right. I get letters um, from the incarcerated population every week. Our our inbox is full uh, of handwritten letters. And I hear this same story from those that are on the inside. They're saying, you know, there's no upside right now. There's no benefit to uh, behaving well. Whereas they're saying, look, if we had this incentive, you would see people change their behaviors. Um, Right now, if somebody wants to improve their lives, there's no recognition for it. And so a lot of them say, well, what's the point? I will spend the whole amount of time that I've been sentenced to here no matter what I do. As a matter of fact, it might even have adverse uh, effects. Um, If it's a Department of Corrections and people are demonstrating that they are being corrected, they're, they're changing their lives, why in the world wouldn't we support that and incentivize that? I just don't understand. We do it today. If you're on parole and probation and you're behaving and you're following the rules and there are no issues, uh, you can earn half your time off of that sentence of probation and parole. We do it in the county uh, jail system, which is different than the state prisons. If you are in a county jail, you are either there on uh, pretrial uh, basis, or you might be serving time up to one year, and in the county jails, they also do it. And many of the sheriff's departments that we've talked to said, "Yeah, this is this is something we do," and they have the ability to do that. I don't understand why the state doesn't recognize the same benefits. So, can you explain
1: the um, the good time credit system that is being proposed by the uh, bill SB six four nine?
0: Sure. Uh, so we looked around in our research at the rest of the uh, country and we found um, many states that are offering kind of what you would think of as a 50% reduction potential potential that you could earn based on your behaviors. So many states will write it as um, a day for a day credit or a 30 day for a 30 day or something like that. And so the, the amount of time we're, we're suggesting uh, of 50% or a 30-day credit for every month or 30-day serve is not over the top. It's something that we can justify by looking at other states and the data that we have. In addition, some states go well beyond that. Um, California, I think, stands out as potentially with an earned and a good time credit policy that California has, you could uh, reduce your sentence by up to 83%. Um, So that is one component of the bill. The second component is we're asking that there be no carve-outs. That is, there are no crime categories that are ineligible based on, you know, whatever you were charged with. So uh, someone that is is in there for what they call nonviolent crime would be equally uh, eligible as someone in there for violent crime. And the word violent crime is being used ever more expansively these days. So some 70-odd percent of the population in the... Michigan Department of Corrections right now is serving some kind of um, sentence uh, regarding a violent crime. So if you don't deal with violent crime and you don't deal with the core issue, you're really not dealing with the the core of mass incarceration. You're dealing with the periphery, you know, the 25% or 30% around the edges. So we don't want any carve, out, carve outs. Um, the only exception to that is if you are serving life, we can't reduce, there's no 50 percent reduction of life. You know, life is life, and so if you're serving a life sentence, this bill can't help you at this time. If someone were resentenced, if they were serving life, but perhaps they appealed to the uh, conviction integrity units or had a chance to be uh, resentenced, it could be that they could have earned those credits then at that time when they have a numerical sentence. The one other thing that would would help fix this is we're trying to correct past wrongs, and so we would like the bill to be applied retroactively. That means, so from the moment somebody uh, set foot into custody at Michigan Department of Corrections, look at their historical record uh, of misconducts. If they have no misconducts, then they should get credit for that time served. And so this could have a substantial impact on the the current population. They would then become eligible. So our bill doesn't make someone automatically released from prison. What we're asking is that they get the opportunity to come before the parole board and then have a hearing. Right now, you know, as I said before, they're going to spend every day of their minimum sentence and we're trying to get that time reduced so that people get a chance to demonstrate to the parole board, look, I've learned from my mistakes. I'm ready to go back and um, be a contributing member to society we want that process to speed up
1: well now that the bill is uh introduced it's official it's got a it's got a number to it and everything what's the next uh step here what you know what comes what comes now i guess what's the uh at the top of the docket for the work that you guys sure well
2: mary
0: what have you what have you learned so
2: far Mary? (laughs) this is where yeah i laugh about how much i've learned about you know uh, some of us, um, and Skyler, you might be too young to remember Schoolhouse Rocks, but those of us who remember Schoolhouse Rocks, there is the whole uh, bill, the one about becoming a bill, and, uh, you know, it may sound so simple, right? <laughs> but so what you find out is, you know, we, we uh, have to go through, um, it goes to committee, and the committee has to decide that they are willing to do a hearing, to discuss it further. So some things can go to committee and just die in committee. Um, So the next step is really to uh, get a hearing. Um, And for that, we really need uh, grassroots. We need the public um, to contact their legislators and, and make them aware that that they know about this bill they support this bill so that potentially we get a hearing um that would be the next step so right now for mja it's it's a uh, big campaign of public awareness um a big push to get people to reach out to their legislators and 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 show their support for the bill
0: yeah get people engaged we want the public to become better educated and really get participate in government, right? Get involved in the process. This is supposed to be government of the people and by the people and for the people. So the people should be participating in this. And that that's the next step really, is people let their lawmakers know that this is something that they support. Call your lawmaker, write your lawmaker, even show up in Lansing um, to speak with your lawmaker in person. Is a great way to, to, to proceed. This is
1: City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. Let's return to our interview with Mary Cusack and Jack Wagner from the Michigan Justice Advocacy Organization.
2: And I think that it's really important, again, people often hear anything about criminal justice reform and they think of, you know we're letting criminals out you know they, they focus on that part and i think a really important part for people to consider of the criminal justice system number one is that we know that there are a lot of disparities based on um race race and ethnicity um but even among just just going to the basic who's in prison um and i think one of our stats is that um 55 of men who are incarcerated. Are fathers and 65% of women are mothers. So you've got a substantial number of children who have um, a parent in in incarcerated. And the problem with that is how much it disrupts a family life, you know, and and the child, the the fallout for children. So you know, how if you if you you have a parent who's in prison, how do you concentrate on being a a child and being a student in school and being successful in school, when you have this stigma of having a parent in prison, um, and the disruption to um, you know income for that family, and you know a child may is then either living with grandparents or has one parent. So the way that the criminal justice system works really hurts a lot of families, and I think that's something that people are becoming more cognizant of. The fallout of you know, this idea of we had to get tough on crime, and that has destroyed a lot of families, and it it will take generations to fix this. Um, And so I think that's one thing in terms of this grassroots effort is, you know, I hate to, I don't know, I sound like Sally Field, but think about the children, you know, or Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just, we do, we have to think about the impact on children and families.
1: The dichotomy that's presented about criminal justice, whether prisons should be places for rehabilitation or places for punishment, in your experience in the work that you do, where, where do you see the public kind of, do you think people are moving more towards the prison experience as being something for
0: rehabilitating people? Yeah, so where is the public? Um, you know, fundamentally what we're, what we're saying is if, If you don't believe people can learn from their mistakes and change and improve as a result of their learnings, um, then fundamentally, then we can't improve as a people no matter what, in prison or out of prison. So. I I fundamentally object to this being purely a a punitive punishment system.
1: This is City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. Let's return to our interview with Mary Cusack and Jack Wagner from the Michigan Justice Advocacy Organization
2: you know, I'm here in East Lansing and I work in higher education and, um, Jack, you're in Ann Arbor, right? So in some ways our perception about where the public in general stands may be skewed because we are kind of surrounded by people who are like-minded. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that I can say that. I, I know how people in rural areas of Michigan feel about this, but so many people, I mean, even statewide there are a lot of people who have been impacted by the opioid crisis and um and were impacted when you know marijuana laws were still in place and that you know that's that's not just racial anymore that that becomes a socioeconomic status so um i i would like to think that people who have been touched by um the criminal justice system in in rural rural areas and on the west side you know in more conservative areas people you know know someone who's been in prison, I would hope that they would be passionate about this. Um, If
0: we look one thing to look at it, maybe to gauge public sentiment is how many bills are being passed? Like we recently had the um, clean slate. Um, um, package of bills, which is about expungement. That's the idea that, look, you've served your time, you're off parole, you've done what you've been asked to do by this system. Now can we get this removed from my record? Because as you know, uh, that check the box concept of have you ever been convicted of a felony follows people around so that even when they've served their time, it's like they're still in prison, right? They don't get access to housing, uh, higher education, um good jobs. so this idea I think is being uh, attacked fundamentally when you see bills like the expungement package. Um, mm-hmm. this this session there are two bills out on the floor in the house uh, House Bill 4670 and 4489 that are also addressing the idea that we need to talk about and re- reform our criminal justice system. So if I just gauge it based on the level of activity I see in the public square, mm-hmm. I'd say, public tide is turning that's my guess
2: i i think so too and and to go back to your part about the expungement i mean if people break the law and are punished and serve their time then absolutely we need to clear up their record because it doesn't help the state to have a population of people with records when we talk about rebuilding the economy of michigan and you want to try to attract um, employers you know we we need to have people who are employable, and if they have a record and that that skews the view of an employer, that's not helping the the college or the um the state's economy at all you know so so it we need to re look at how we're you know, someone does their time they should be able to reenter society and and be able to participate in all uh, things that citizens are able to participate in
1: let's say. This has affected somebody personally, um, whether or not it's happened directly to them or a family member. They've had an experience that's uh, you know, gotten them passionate about the issue of criminal justice reform. What are some of the things that an individual can do in, if this is a cause that they are passionate about?
2: First thing I would say is go to mijustice.org. Check out our website. Um, there's opportunities to volunteer. Um, pass out information at events. That's a big one Um, because, as we said before, we need to get the public awareness up. Um, Of course, we can use donations. Um, One of of our expenses is um, we keep in touch with incarcerated people who are passionate about this, of course, and it costs us money to um, what we call JPay them, the email system that you're allowed to uh, message incarcerated people, of course, J-Pay makes money off from that. So they charge us to keep in contact with, and that costs us, mm, I can't remember how much, every time we send them an email. So, um, so donations and um, involvement, volunteerism. And we do have on the website, um, you can um, fill out a form that will forward to your legislators, um, if that's the easiest way to do it. But, you know, phone calls, letters, all of that. Um, but you can go to our website and fill out that form as well. And that kind of automates the process makes it easy. It takes two minutes to just contact your legislator. And we also have a Facebook page. So keep in contact there.
1: Mary Cusack and Jack Wagner of the Michigan Justice Advocacy Organization. I want to thank both of you for coming on uh, City Pulse on the air. Thank
0: oh, you. Our pleasure. You're welcome.
1: And that does it for us here on City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. You can learn more about the Michigan Justice Advocacy Group by visiting mijustice.org. I'd like to thank you, the listener, and we'll be back next week with a brand new show. For City Pulse on the air, this is Skylar Ashley signing off.